You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 655. It is a miracle every time you make a movie, and a bigger miracle if it turns out well. Mark Forrester. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. If you guys are looking for jobs in the film industry or need to hire talent, Backstage Crew is the leading career marketplace to find film jobs and hire talent of all kinds. Browse easily and apply to hundreds of open roles across production types and post a job to quickly find the skilled talent you need to bring your film or project to life. Find the next gig or your crew with Backstage Crew. Get started for free today at Backstage.com and you can post your first job for free using the code INDIE80. That's INDIE80. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur Method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Today on the show, guys, we have Golden Globe winner for Best Director, Mark Forrester, whose films like Monsters Ball, Stranger Than Fiction, Finding Neverland, The Kite Runner, and a couple of blockbusters you might have heard of, Quantum of Solace, James Bond, and World War Z. Mark is a fascinating filmmaker because he really brings deep characters and story structure to whatever film he is doing, whether it's something like Monster's Ball or something as complex as World War Z. And in his new film, A Man Called Otto, starring Tom Hanks, he brings that and more. Now, there are no killer zombies in this one, and there's no spies but it is a heartfelt story that I absolutely fell in love with. And Tom Hanks is remarkable in it. And it really will kind of shake you when you watch it. But Mark and I had a great conversation about his career and his new film as well. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Mark Forrester. I'd like to welcome to the show, Mark Forrester. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. Thank you. And you, Alex. I'm very good, my friend. Uh, so my first question, we're going to jump right into it, is how did you get started in the business? Um, you know, I, I grew up in Switzerland in the mountains, in Davos, and, uh, you know, surrounded by just uh, nature and uh, not much. My parents had a TV, and I always had to play outside to entertain myself versus being entertained. 
And, uh, and that's sort of inspired me to become a storyteller. And the first time I saw a movie in a theater, I said, that's what I want to do. Now, how did you get involved with Monsters Ball? Because that was a, such an impactful and crazy movie. Uh, you know, I, I made a movie called Everything Put Together and that premiered at Sundance. And uh, the writers saw that movie and at the time producers saw it, they all saw it and they said I would be right for it. And they were trying to get the movie made for like eight years. And they first, first uh, I couldn't get it made. And it was, you know, originally Sean Penn directing with Robert De Niro, Sean Penn and Marlon Brando. And it was too expensive. And the first thing they asked me, look, we've been waiting to get this finance for all this time. Uh, we would make the movie with you, but can you make it for $3 million? And I made the Sundance movie for 50000 I said, $3 million? That's, <laughs> I can do that. So that's how it was started. So when, you're, when you were directing Hallie and, and Billy Bob in that film, uh, like, did you see what was going on with Haley's performance at that point? Like, because she, I mean, she was amazing. You know, I, I didn't predict that she would win, win an Oscar at the time of the shooting, but I definitely uh, saw it when I saw her performances. She was extremely powerful, extremely raw and vulnerable. And, and that's what we discussed and uh, we wanted to go for and that it felt real. And, you know, because Hallie, uh, you know, is such a you know, glamorous and beautiful human to mm -hmm. really make it believable the part, I felt she worked extra hard on it. How would, what advice do you have for directors who want to pull those kind of raw and, you know, to, you know, those kind of emotions out of an actor? What did you do to make her feel comfortable enough to be that vulnerable on screen? Um, you know, ultimately, you, you, you know, you discuss the part in depth, in your vision in depth, and you communicate your vision. And uh, I, I feel once you connect with an actor to make them feel comfortable and, and understand the visions you have, that's the key thing. I mean, for the most vulnerable scene, between the intimate scene between Billy Bob and her, you know, there was a closed set, of course, and, and, and closed everything that they felt totally protected and safe. Now, you, you made the jump from indie to slightly larger budgets, just slightly, uh, from, from Monsters Ball to, uh, to James Bond. How did you handle psychologically the jump from 50,000 to 3 million to a couple hundred million? I mean, there were a couple of movies between between. Sure. Yes, there was. So, so you know, I had like I think uh, finance day like four, four or five movies in between. So, I, and the, the budget increased and went bigger. And you know, the one uh, the Kai Turner was the, the one before the Bond movie, but still, it was only like the twenty five million dollar range. And it's it's like, like same thing if you have like a, a you know your small sort of boutique shop our boutique, uh, you know, custom-made shoe, shoe store, and then suddenly you become CEO of Macy's or something. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's a different thing. You suddenly have so many more people, so many more questions. You shoot in seven, seven, seven countries all over the world, you know, with $200 million budget and, and a history of a franchise that's one of the most or the most uh, successful franchise in history. And you suddenly, suddenly, when you start reflecting on it, thinking, I hope I, I, I'm not going to, you know, this is not, not going to, that, that ship is not going to sink because otherwise my career is over. <laughs> right, exactly. So what does that feel like being on the set for the first day of shooting Quantum of Solace and you're just sitting there like, okay, there's a million people running around <laughs> trying to get yeah. this thing going. How did that feel being on the set on a Bond film? It's such a legendary franchise. 
You know, to, to begin with, we started on purpose to movie very intimate with not some of the big, big action sequence and big sets. So that it felt very familiar to me. I knew the territory. I knew how to how to do those uh, those scenes, and and from that we started growing. But uh, you know, it what feels like before you're always under the radar. Nobody really cares. And then suddenly you're doing a Bond movie, and suddenly you have the the world press attention on you, and that that is actually the biggest pressure. And that I didn't, you know. So you don't you don't. So you don't think about that, that suddenly everyone and everyone will write about you. And before that, nobody really cared. How did you deal with that psychologically? And how did that affect, if it affected at all, your creativity or your process? I mean, the, the process of the movie was a tricky one because there was a writer's strike going on at that time in 2008. So we, we had a sort of an unfinished script and then the strike was from October to February. So it was very tricky. It was often just Danny Craig and me in the, in the trailer trying to figure out what we're going to do next. So, so that was the, the even more pressure. I think if we would have had a, fin a completed script that everybody said, this is fantastic, let's just go and shoot it. It definitely deflates some of the pressure. But if you have something that's not completed and you are suddenly stuck in that position and you have a release date in mm -hmm. place, only five weeks to cut the movie, it's, uh, it's kind of intense. Now, and you, I mean, obviously, you also worked on World War Z, which is another small independent budget. How did you deal with this, the stress of heading up such big productions? I mean, as a director, there's, it's just so many people and so many departments, and you're still trying to be creative and still be intimate with your actors. How do you handle that stress? Um, you know, I'm, I'm like, it's interesting. I had like World War Z, it's for the, the Israel sequence when the zombies climb over the wall. Yeah. And We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Remember that sequence? Of course. So, so when I drove in the morning, I had a, a driver drive me to set in Malta. We shot that in Malta. And we came to set and we pulled up and he looked at 2000 extras and helicopters in the air and buses and, and everything else going on. And I frightened my a driver literally had an anxiety attack just looking at it. <laughs> and then, Not helpful. <laughs> no. And, and I was like, well, oh, wow, what are you doing today? And so and you just go out and you just have to focus and you can't, you have to blend out all the chatter. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key things for a director in, in general. You, you know, you have so many voices always in general from the financiers, studio, actors, producers, whatever, that you really stick to your vision. You, when you hear the chatter, you take some some stuff you like, but ultimately you have to stick to to your vision. And I think it's part of the art in that to be able to stay calm and blend it out. Now, as directors, you know, there's always that day that you feel like the entire world's coming crashing down around you. I'm assuming you have that every day, but there's more than the, there's that one day on any production that you don't know how you're going to get through it. So, what was that day on any of your productions, and how did you overcome it? I, I think, uh, you know, I would say when we're shooting in Western China, the Kite Runner, uh, our, our line producer forgot to, it was before digital, it was still, we were shooting a film, and our line producer forgot to order film. So, so, so we only had short ends left. I don't, you know, short ends of sure. fish. So basically, we're, we're shooting these scenes, and there was a six minute dialogue scene, and we only have like two minutes of film. So I, I couldn't tell the actor, you can only, we're going to piecemeal this. And she was doing it in pieces. So the actor is like, the actors are playing six minutes of roles and acting their heart out, but there are only two minutes of film in it. 
So at the end, I knew there was no film in it. And then I, pe- I basically, next time I just shoot the middle and then the end. But sometimes the actors didn't understand why do you do so many takes? And, and they said, but we got it then. It was so great. And, uh, and, uh, but they weren't aware. And that was super stressful. I was thinking you have these great performances, but you don't have to own film. And just telling them, oh, you know, we don't have any film in the camera right now, which is like out wasn't, wasn't the right thing to do. Now, on your new film, A Man Called Otto, which, by the way, I saw and I absolutely loved. Uh, there's such a beautiful film. And Tom Hanks is this newcomer. Tom Hanks is fantastic, uh, by the way. A real discovery. <laughs> a real discovery, without question. Um, how did you get involved with this project? And also, like, it, it seems like it's, you're going back to your roots a little bit. It's a very intimate film, very small in scope comparatively to the other big things you've done over, the, over your uh, career. Yeah, you know, I, I read the book and I was so touched and moved and I laughed and I cried and I, and I saw there was a Swedish version of the film, which I saw was good too. And then I thought this movie, we have to make an American version out of this because it's so, uh, you know, it's so funny, but it's also so touching and dark and it's like both, but ultimately it's a life affirming film. And what I loved about it, it brings the neighborhood back together. And I think we are also divided these days. And I think... They're still at the end, this is, you know, this, I always feel like it's one country. We, uh, one, we all need to work together. And, and even though we have different point of views and there's so many different characters on that street, which is, is so sweet. And I like the new neighbor, the, the Mexican family that moves in across the street, who she comes over and, and tries to do some with food. And, <laughs> and I think food is one of those great things that we can literally all share which uh, which uh, definitely warms was ha- someone's heart. But she's so persistent, that neighbor, that uh, her name is uh, Mariana Trevino, uh, she plays Marisol, that Otto's character, Tom, who Tom Hanks plays, just that ultimately can't, like, he just opens up. He can't, he can't take it anymore. Do you, do you still get nervous when you're directing people like Tom Hanks? Like when, on that first day on set, you're like, I Tom Hanks is here. <laughs> I mean, look, he, he's, I, 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 I love that man. I think he's one of the greatest stars ever. He's uh, definitely, you know, greatest talent I've ever worked with. I mean, it's so extraordinary. You know, after 40 years, he still loves what he do, does and, and is a big movie star. And he comes in the morning and he sits on set and he never leaves. He's like in, in, in like a meditation. And, you know, usually stars of that caliber, you take to the take, they're out to the trailer. He never he stays there all day long as a crew. He just sits there with the crew and then you relight, change lights, he doesn't leave. And it's just this concentration and this sort of just being there is pretty, pretty special. How do you approach the different, how do you approach different acting styles in your directing? Because, you know, a Tom Hanks is probably different than a Halle Berry, is different than a Brad Pitt. Like, how do you adjust multiple characters in the same scene? Yeah, it's, it's basically, you, you, you have to like find a way to get to, to connect and see what what the actor needs or not, and how open they are, and how willing you know, some you know how how willing they are to collaborate. And I was pretty lucky throughout my career that I always worked with actors who were very open. And we had to, I never had like you know the sort of the nightmare situation, and that that they were very focused and prepared and and on time. So I never dealt with 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 the with the divas of the show business, which I'm I'm very very blessed, but. But at the same time, you just see what, what they need and, and really try to feel them out. Because sometimes it's better to say nothing than too much. 
that because sometimes the actor needs their space and they find it. And you as a director maybe just have to say, maybe we can just try a different prop, you know, try this or that. It's less than giving them a direction. It's less trying something in a different direction. So, so that's, uh, you know, how, how, it, how it really from person to person, it uh, differs. And how did you balance the darkness of this story with the humor? Because you did it so masterfully because you, I mean, you definitely touch upon very, very dark themes in this, in this movie, but yet you're laughing and crying and dealing with those themes. It's a very fine balancing act you did. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of it is in editing because, you know, we obviously shot a little bit more here and there, but it's this finding this balance also between the flashbacks and present day that you go, that you not stay too much in the flashbacks to come back, that your emotions still con stay connected with Tom and in, in the present day. And also uh, in the, in the flashbacks, ultimately they just give enough information that creates sort of uh, a mystery and enough for you to wanting to keep watching. And, and it's juxtaposing sometimes the dark with the, with the humor, straightly direct, you know, when, for instance, the, the hinge breaks and he's on the floor and he lands right next to the paper with the, with the you know, <laughs> yes, two for eight dollars. And then he says that, I mean, that, that takes you right back into the humor. Right, it's just so funny. Like, like what is, like, he's, he's just did that and he's like, nope, I, I, it's, a good, it's a good deal, I gotta keep this. <laughs> So beautiful. Uh, now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests, Mark. Um, what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? I mean, ultimately, I, I think that you know today, you know, you can make a film on your phone. Basically, uh, what it really comes down to is a great story. And I think also when you find a story, the more <laughs> a personal connection you have with that, the better. It's either, you know, if you don't have the funds, I would recommend to do a short and then have the feature script ready. So you shoot the short and then say, look, this is my short and this is what the feature is going to be. And that's how, you know, how to raise money and, and figure it out and get actors and people that would love the short. Let's, let's take our bet on this guy. Or to make a feature for if you can raise the money. But no matter what, it all comes down to the script that the script is really strong and, and be free. I think it's important to give it to other people to read the script, to have them have a look, get feedback and, and just keep working on, on that. But I think the stronger the script is the better. And then the other thing is once you make a movie and you have a, a movie that works, let's say at Sundance or any of the festivals and someone buys it, that you have a second script ready because you don't want to have too much time say, oh, I have nothing now, I have to write another script or find something for the next year or two to get that going. But at that time, we're living in such a fast society that that might have been too late. So I think to have a second project ready in, is, is important as well. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? Um, I, I think, you know, patience is definitely something. <laughs> uh, you, know, you always have to learn, like even sitting in traffic and staying calm. You know, it's like impatience with, with, with people, with, you know, with your kids, with everything. It's like just to be patient. I think it's, it's really, it's a hard one. Um, what did you learn from one of your greatest failures? Yeah, you know, they always say Silicon Valley is built on failures. I think failures are truly key for an artist, for anyone, because you learn from them. For instance, after Finding Neverland, I made a film called Stay. That wasn't uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling, Naomi Watts, a great cast, great Ewan McGregor, great cast, good actor. <laughs> yeah. 
and and it the critics didn't love it, the audience didn't love it. It has found a little bit of a following throughout the years. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But when ultimately when I made that movie, I said, why doesn't this didn't that movie work? And then I and out of that movie came Stranger Fiction, which also is sort of absurd and comedic. But uh, that movie worked. And I, I, re- I was able to make that sort of absurdness in that movie emotional. And I wasn't able to do that in stay, even though visually it's cool and compelling, but it ultimately didn't connect with people emotionally. And, and strange fiction did. So, so then in the hardest question of all, three of your favorite films of all time. Three of my favorite films of all I mean, it's, it's a tricky one, you know. I, I love uh, a lot of the, the dead directors. Um, you know, I love Ingemar Bergman, Swedish director. Um, I would say like Wild Strawberries of his, yeah. I really, really enjoy. Um, I, you know, I mean, there's, there's three, that's a tough one. It, three uh, today. I know it changes tomorrow. So I don't, it won't be on your tombstone. Don't worry. You know, that, that, you know I, I like, um, you know, I, I always uh, love the Marx Brothers, Duck Soup. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it still holds. It still holds today. Yes. And I think Howard Hawks bringing up baby is one of my favorites too, uh, because I just love how fast that dialogue goes and how she performs that. Um, and uh, that's also one of my favorite films. And where can people uh, watch A Man Called Otto? Uh, hopefully they all will watch it in the theaters because it's a movie that really you should experience in a theater. And it's one of those movies, you know, people seem to come come out for it and it's, Something you want to experience together, you laugh and you cry, and you don't want that alone alone at home in front of the TV. So right now it's still in the theaters for the next uh, couple of weeks. So please go and support it. And and very last question, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. As a filmmaker, we grew up uh, as filmmakers. We grew up loving movies at the theater, but that seems to be becoming more and more of an endangered species unless there's certain kind of films. What do you what are your what are your hopes for the future, my friend? Because it's tougher and tougher to get people at the theater nowadays. You, you know, uh, A Man Called Otto was the kind of movie Hollywood used to make. Yeah. And, and they don't make them very much anymore. And I ran into a few people now and said, really, they said, we have hope again because A Man Called Otto seems like to, people came out to see it and we didn't think those kind of movies would still play in the theater. And I'm so glad they came and supported the movie. And uh, I hope, you know, that people will keep coming out for movies like that because that will keep those movies alive because the financiers, obviously in the studios, will not pay for a movie when no one shows up. And they they very quickly have their algorithms. You know, so many people don't, the the decisions today are not being made anymore by the gut, by like the old studio heads or people. It's mostly made by algorithms and marketing. So can I market that movie? What's the algorithm on it? Can we sell it? And they run these numbers and that's that's how it gets done mostly. Mark, I, it's a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Please keep up the fight, the good fight, my friend, and keep making the films you're making. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alex. Have a good day. Take care. I want to thank Mark so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge bombs with all of us. Thank you so much, Mark. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash six five five thank you so much for listening guys as always keep that hustle going keep that dream alive 
Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.